Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Uphoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 66 of Theater Forward. All right, good to Drive be here. Drive that highway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this week, we are going to talk about budgets. They are the most definitive expression of a company's values in my mind. Yet how often do we get to see them and understand them? They're also honestly really difficult to put together, even under quote unquote normal circumstances, which we are most certainly still not in. So in this conversation, we are just going to dive into all things budgetary. And honestly, this conversation is kind of prompted by something that we did here at Forward this fall and credit where credit is due, inspired by um, Santa Cruz Shakespeare. So we um, have always aimed for budget transparency here at Forward. And in fact, uh, as a sort of additional step, uh, last year when we were creating an updated EDI and anti-racism plan, we committed to putting our full budget on our website for transparency. But then uh, thanks to the the often joys of theater Twitter, where I can find fabulous, um, exciting new practices from colleagues around the country, um, a, a dramaturg I know shared that Santa Cruz Shakespeare had put their operating budget into their playbill. And I was really struck by that and the transparency of that and the accessibility of that and the, the communication with your audience of where you put your money and where their money goes when they buy a ticket or make a donation. So uh, so we did that. We printed our budget right there in the playbill for the first show of our fall season, which just closed a few days ago. And we got really good feedback from people who were really fascinated to start to understand um, why professional theater costs what it costs and you know where where that money goes. Um, so so it was a really positive experience, I think, for us. And uh, our discussions about it led us to uh, decide to talk about budgets for this podcast episode. Well, you'll see in in our budget, um, the majority of our money goes to what you know in the in the big umbrella term people, um, and that is that staff, and that's our actors and designers and. All, all people doing lectures on and on that, you know, that goes directly into their um, pocketbook. Um, it's interesting that we're having this conversation in 2021 and that this is in my mind, a cause for celebration that we put our money, our money goes to people, to hiring people. Because there was a time, do you remember this? When the nonprofits of the world were, um, getting such criticism for paying their CEOs and their, their staff um, basically a living wage. Because it was, remember, it was supposed to be like under 10%, 15%, and oh my gosh, you are, you've done a very poor job of your, um, on your budget. And um, I think I'm, I, I am hoping that those days are gone because we have received such positive feedback from people who saw our budget and said, that is great. The money is going exactly where I want it to go in the productions that, you know, and the people. Right. Although to, to build on that, there's the, the, um, the, the idea too, that by being more transparent with, with budgets, it, it comes with it 
some more transparency about pay levels, because I think you're right. The shaming of paying people a living wage, an appropriate wage for the work that they do in the nonprofits and in the nonprofit arts world is like, we really need to let go of that. This idea that overhead should be so low. The overhead is what lets you provide the service, right? Right. But we also, you know, I don't want to be seeing companies where a CEO is making, where the artistic director or the managing director is making 10 times what one of their artists on stage is making. Right. We are not making anything close to that, <laughs> Julie and I. We're good. Um, We're good there. Uh-huh. Um, but I but I think salary transparency is it's not just an ethical thing, it's a it's an equity thing. You know, people need right. to be able to talk about what they're getting paid and to share it. And that's how you can root out inequity right. in the well, field. Well, a shout out you know, to piggyback off of what Jen just said to Lauren Halverson, the uh, Washington DC based dramaturg, who's nothing for the group. That's nothing for the group folks, free newsletter, although there's also a subscriber version. You really should sign up for it. It's filled Co-sign. with fantastic, <laughs> yes. fantastic theater news every week. And what she's for the, at least the last couple of months now, maybe even longer, has started running a feature where she talks about the particular positions of theater companies, all of whom will remain nameless on this on this broadcast, uh, who are not paying for a particular position, the living wage of the city in which those people work, um, which raises, I mean, that's a sort of shaming I'm 100% in favor of um, because <laughs> people should be paid a, the, at least the living wage. Um, having said that, um, you know, theater companies, nonprofits, a lot of them don't have a lot of money. And so one of the real questions that comes up for me as part of this budget transparency, and this is a dialogue with an audience, is what do you do when um, a theater company doesn't have or doesn't feel as though it has the money to pay for a particular person to make a living wage? I mean, do you do you go ahead and advertise the position anyway? Do you recalibrate what the theater company is going to do and how it does it? Um, I don't have the answers to those questions. I think it just puts them on the on the table to think about in the way that this budget transparency does. It's it's a beautiful conversation, and it's a conversation that has never happened before. Because I think there is like like um, nuns and monks. We uh, in the theater industry have have signed up for some sort of vow of poverty. And, and I'm very happy that that is being questioned now because I do look at those, I'll have to be honest. I look at that nothing for the group and you know this, this um, literary assistant is not being paid anywhere near what a living wage is in that city. And I think, well, yeah, right, they usually don't. And it's gotten my mind to start thinking, but why is that? Why have we for so many years accepted that they don't get paid a, a living wage. And I think she start, she is adding on to that conversation and it's a great, it's great to have. Why, why do we expect people in the theater industry and the performing arts and nonprofit to work for under a living wage in the community that they live in? Well, and, and to, to go back to your, your question, Mike, about, about whether it should or should not be allowable. You know, this is one of those conversations where what we really need is nuance, which is not always <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. Uh, an easy thing. Um, but I do think context matters. I, I mean, in, again, since the whole point of this conversation is about transparency. So when Forward Theater started, we're in our 13th season now. 
no, we weren't paying a living wage for our city in our first couple of seasons. We weren't, we were building something from nothing. And uh, a lot of artists in our community wanted to help build something for nothing from nothing for the prospect of longer term employment. And, you know, what we were able to promise people is this is what we've got now. And we promise wages go up the year after that. And they go up the year after that. And I think it was around our fifth season or so that we started paying what I would consider a living wage. And it's continued to go up from there. Um, If we had had to start our company with every single employee, carpenters, actors, staff, making a minimum of say $15 an hour, I don't know if we could have gotten the company completely off the ground. But if we had gotten past season five or six and weren't paying a living wage, then we haven't figured it out and we should we should either change or stop. Uh, honestly, in my opinion. And that's why I say nuance. I, you know, if I were to see a company that's getting up off the ground and know they're not paying those rates, but there's a commitment for us, there's a swift trajectory upward planned, people can make the decision whether or not to, to take that work. But I do think a company that's been around a decade or two decades, or some of the ones getting called out by nothing for the group, five decades, are still not paying a living wage. I'm with you. I think shaming is not inappropriate because if you haven't figured out how to compensate people for their work by then, you're doing it wrong. Well, and what I love about, yes, that's exactly right. And, and, and again, I think in terms of engendering conversation, which is what Forward Publishing, its budget is all about, that allows you to have that conversation. So if artists are going to make the choice in years two, three, and four to work for less than a quote unquote living wage or to give back some of their time and talent, um, at least it's on the table what's going on and everybody is in agreement and there's a consensus built around it. This goes back to one of our very first podcasts where we talked about whether artists should work events, you know, benefit events, for example, without being paid. And I think, again, and this is something that's been missing in the discussion in the last two years about that, it's not an either or. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, which is what I argued then. The important point is that there is an open and transparent conversation with the people whose time and talent is being asked of, um, that it's handled in a way where asymmetrical power relationships aren't used to keep them from getting work if they say no, where they're free to say no, um, and and where you are having that kind of conversation. Um, It also means, going back, since Julie brought up literary managers and dramaturgs, (laughs) dramaturgs of the world unite, we're always underpaid, but it it forces you to ask a hard question. So, for example, maybe a, a, a production can only afford an intimacy designer or a dramaturg for a particular show. It can pay one of them a living wage. It can't pay two. And then the discussion becomes, do we pay two people under minimum wage, uh, under living wage, or do you pay one person a living wage? And and, and there you're being forced to make hard decisions, which are good for a company to think through about whether in a production of a Neil LeBute play, maybe it's more important to have an intimacy designer than a dramaturg. In a production like The Amateurs, which Forward will be launching soon, and yes, I am the dramaturg for that, so this is self-interested, but that's a play that's dealing with the medieval period um, in, in world history, maybe in that one, having a dramaturg is more important than having an intimacy designer. And again, at least you can have the conversation. Our decisions, that's that's exactly what re- making a budget is. Every single mm-hmm. choice mm-hmm. is a choice. Well, if I can pay more people 
at, at less per person. I can pay fewer people, but but they get more. I mean, we can have a dramaturg or we can have an industry coordinator. I mean, those are that is the entire budgeting process. And I'll say, you know, part of what helped us get buy-in and investment from the artists who helped make this company possible in those early years was part of our transparency was it was um, favored nations across the board. So every designer who worked with us in a given season made the same. Every equity actor that worked with us, and that is still our policy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We, this is what, this is the sort of maximum that we can, you know, responsibly budget in this season. Everyone's going to make the same. So you don't, you aren't looking around and going that actor over there at my castmate is worth more to the company than I am, or this company values scenic designers more than costume designers or et cetera, et cetera. And there are definite downsides um, or complications to that policy. Um, some artists aren't able to work for us for, for what we can afford to pay. And that is completely understandable and not held against them. And we've gone back to people in subsequent seasons when our rates have gone up and been able to bring them in. But I also um, really appreciate it because it means that younger and oftentimes more diverse emerging talent comes in at a a comparable living wage to the more established talent. And and that feels really good to us. I I get that it doesn't work for every company, but we've seen a lot of um, benefits in terms of building a real sense of community with our artists in in the development of the budget too i wanted um since this is you know a podcast for people who would love to start their own budgeting um (laughs) (laughs) um, we get right we get um input you know jen you and i start that budget but then every one of the staff members puts in numbers for their department have a say in that goes to, you know, our board, our finance committee, our board, um, development committee. And so there are a lot of eyes on that budget. It's not one person determining um, where where the resources are going and how much we expect resources to be, um, but there's a lot of input. And it's just so, it's so daunting because in, like I said at the beginning, even in a best case, quote unquote, normal year, creating a budget and creating a budget for a nonprofit arts organization, it it really is just creating your best guess, right? You're making your best guess of what you think things are going to cost and your best guess of what you're going to bring in from revenue sources. And sometimes some of those things are known, like you have a three-year lease and you know what your office space is going to cost to the dollar every month you've got a lease. Other things um, are more unexpected and you have to kind of adjust on on the fly. And so you, you create this budget and it's a best guess and, you know, you get better and better at it over the years. Um, at, you know, as you, uh, learn to anticipate the ebbs and flows of things, you can figure out, you know what the landlord they're they've been really consistent. They go up 3% a year. Great. So we're going to guess it's going to go up 3% next year, but my goodness, this past period of time, because I don't think anybody has good guesses or had good guesses as this pandemic began of what was going to happen because none of us have lived through anything like this. So our best guesses were just so wild in many occasions because we had nothing to make those, you know, if it's an educated guess, what, what is, what are you educating yourself with? We didn't have any, anything concrete to, to base that on. And 
even now, 18 plus months into this, it's um, things are still so um, fluid and up in the air. Um, you know, do we need to continue testing, you know, as part of our equity contracts? A few months ago, the answer was no. As of the day we're recording, now we do again. And do we have that money in the budget or don't we? Regardless, we have to spend the money, right? And and things are changing so much more often during this this time of crisis than in um, in the before times, and it's hard. I um, our producer our producer for this podcast is also our director of marketing, and to do a budget to figure out what ticket sales will be. Um, coming out of this last season and also with masks and vaccinations and and um, I don't know I don't I, I don't know that I've ever um, responsibly guessed as much as we did with those ticket numbers will they come back subscribers yes at what percentage will we get um, single ticket buyers maybe for this show maybe not for this but man, that was, that was a process. And that was, I, nobody can be held to those numbers this year because they were, they were educated guesses as best we could at that time. You know, that raises a related issue, Julie. Um, and, you know, maybe this is a place where Forward and other companies will go in the future in terms of what we're publishing in programs or transparency. But I think in terms of educating a public, seeing what's taken in, per show um, could be very helpful um, for people. I know that there are wild Turks out there, including yours truly, that you know want every single show to be you know by Beckett and Carol Churchill. And that ain't just that ain't gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. And it can't happen. But helping people understand um, and educating a public about the, the really difficult challenges that go into making a season and why it has to be balanced in some of the ways it is. I mean, certainly for me being a part of the forward family in the last three years, that has been educative process in terms of seeing how that works. Why might a company to choose a really fantastic play that is easily sort of thrown up there as just a, you know, an old chestnut like uh, Steel Magnolias being done both in Chicago and at Milwaukee Rep uh, this year. I think it's a fantastic play. I can hardly wait to see both of those productions. But there are people who will say, well, you know, but that's been there, done that. Why can't we choose something less sentimental and more adventuresome? Well, maybe we need a balance. And seeing those numbers might help people understand that so that when they're just going off on, you know, why, you know, this company didn't do this show or that show or isn't doing more of whatever, they're making a decision which is informed by the real challenges that people like you, Jen, face in putting together a season. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's it's um, I think that's that's spot on, Mike. It, everything is a choice. Everything is a choice when you're running an arts organization. What you do, what you spend your money on, and and what you think um, where you think the money will come from to pay for all of it. Do you do a show that's got a really expansive, um, has really expansive design needs that's going to be very exciting? But then you know, if you're spending all that money on that, you may not have the money to do some other thing. Um, do you do the show you fall in love with, with six actors, or the one that you like almost as much that has three? But maybe the one with six actors you think is one that will attract more single ticket buyers. So might actually wind up being the better financial 
choice as well as an artistic choice. I mean, it, everything is just um, building in so many factors. But what I what I really like about the trends in our field towards transparency is twofold. Number one, it 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 it, it holds all of us to higher ethical standards, right? So um, we, we don't obscure where the money goes. You can see what we spend on people. You can see what we spend on community outreach. You can see what we spend on um, equity related, not actors equity, but equity diversity related um, efforts uh, and, and, and choose to spend your money on a ticket or a donation with us or not you can see if a company's values align with your own as well as their art. And I think that that's positive development. I think that in, in all things, we, we should be um, educated about the power of our dollar and, and voting with our dollars. Right. Um, so that's, that's really important, but it's also um, it empowers artists. It empowers artists to know their worth um, when they can know what other people are getting paid whether at a particular organization or industry wide. And, you know, this conversation, of course, makes me think about um, Karen Olivo and Eden Espinoza's organization, Affect, Artists for Economic Transparency, um, that they started uh, during 2020 and is still going. Um, you know, listeners to this podcast know that, that Karen is a, a friend of the pod, so to speak, and a member of our forward theater artistic community. Um, and their work and their advocacy on behalf of artists uh, to know their worth, to be educated about economic issues and, and, you know, advocating for themselves, but also for the transparency to know where the money you are helping an organization earn is going. And, and that that too is is important and powerful um, tool for artists. And for anyone who doesn't know anything about Affect, it's afect.org. Um, I think it's worth checking out because for people working in the industry and particularly people working in the commercial theater, because that, that's Karen and Eden's primary focus, um, it's it's so important. And it, it an organization like that, to my knowledge, really didn't exist before this. And it, I think it's a really important step. Um, sort of related to that, Jen, and this is another sort of admittedly touchy and difficult area, but it's one where I think forward has again been fairly forward. You know, one of the demands of um, we see you, white American theater, is that you you know where a board the board members uh, in an organization work or where they come from to get a better sense of where the money is coming from that helps support a theater and to help places make intelligent choices. I mean, there may be, some people may feel, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, that if a board member comes from, you know, XYZ corporation that, you know, runs a zillion sweatshops in Asia, maybe they don't want to be supporting a theater that's getting some of its money from a person that works for that corporation. I, again, it's all about having a conversation. Different people are going to land on that in different places, but why not know where a place's money is, is coming from? I mean, I think that's a, it's, it's, it's a fair thing, even though we recognize that in a capitalist world, people don't always get a choice about where they work um, or how they're able to make contributions. I mean, all of us are conflicted and compromised. Yeah, I think I think as long as as we all can extend grace to artists and arts organizations to to make the choices that they make, and then we can make our own choices. You know, back in the day when it seemed like every arts organization in America was funded by Philip Morris, 
and you could mm-hmm. take One issue with companies, products. right? And you could take issue with companies that took that money, but you can also acknowledge for the ones that did, that may be what allowed them to employ artists and create work. And so it's it's complicated, and I think it's important that we extend extend that grace to our to our colleagues and and to the artists and everyone making those decisions. But I more transparency, I think, is just an inherently better thing than less. And for people who are in a position to pick and choose what work they take, what companies they work for, what tickets they buy to which companies, what donations they make to which companies, having more information about how that money is spent and where it goes is is a public good, bottom line. Absolutely. I mean, the two words I keep hearing in this conversation um, are grace and nuance. Um, and I think <laughs> yes. I'd like to think this podcast stands for the idea and ideal, as does our company, that there ought to be more of both. Um, and that these kinds of publications, publishing these, this kind of information, hopefully helps advance the ball um, on both of those fronts. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And, um, you know, we're just touching on a few aspects of, right. of everything that goes into budgets. But, but this, um, this part of the, of the conversation, I think, is really timely. Uh, and connected to a lot of other conversations happening in the field right now. And, and it feels really good to talk transparently about it. <laughs> um, and I, I have a feeling we'll come back to future podcasts uh, on the topic of budgeting and, and where the money goes. But, but I think this can be it for this particular episode of Theater Forward. Um, I will say that's it for today. It's a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff-Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by the hardworking, can never be paid enough for his good work, uh, Scott Hayden. Um, and you can follow us uh, with and share your thoughts, please, on Facebook or in, uh, on Twitter. I'm tongue-tied because I'm, I'm thinking about how always, people, theater is spelled with an E-R. <laughs> and if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And please leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We are so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward Conversation.